We have our first repeat guest this week, and it's a good one. If you're interested in anything West Virginia or Lexington, you'll want to stay tuned for this one on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 104 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. And we have a repeat guest this week. I'm Nick. He's Will. Busy week, huh? Yeah, it's uh, talking about news. I, I don't I, I don't think busy would be the word I would use. Yeah, it's been uh, about as fast moving as a traffic jam this week. There's really nothing nothing going on here. So it's a good thing we do have an hour-long interview. Otherwise, uh, we'd be really grasping for straws this week. But, uh, yeah, it's just some, I guess, staff hirings. Uh, I know there was a couple others that came up since we did show notes, but I wasn't going to rewrite my notes. So uh, we'll just toss them in next week because, you know, who knows if next week will be even slower. So there's that. We got a date for the Frontier League draft. And before all of that, we have... I almost want to call it part two of our interview with Jesse Scaglione, but at the same time... I think that's fair. Yeah, but at the same time, though, it's not really a part two because it's not like we cut off the last conversation. This is its own separate entity, but it is... It's kind of similar to last week, I guess. Obviously, a lot more West Virginia talk, as you could probably expect, but there is some Lexington talk in there. We get, we, we talk some personnel a little bit as well. I thought I had a lot of fun. I thought it was it, it was it was a great interview. Definitely more of a conversational type of interview, more than a question and answer type thing. So I, I had a fun time. I know it's a, I know it's a repeat guest, but I think it was another very informative uh, informative interview. Yeah, I'd say so too. It's a we also get into the weeds on the toast man and. I'm starting to really like our odds of getting this guy onto the program, and I think so. Quite frankly, I I really do mean this, and no disrespect to any of our other guests or the ones we're going to have on in the future, but I do think the Toastman would probably be the the best skit we could possibly have. I mean, as great as the Toastman would be, you know, there there is a possibility out here somewhere that we could interview someone else. That true, would uh, true. That would that would blow everything else out of the water. I don't know though. I mean, like it would be, it's possible, I guess. But I mean, the Toast Man is just so he's so perfect in so many different ways. But I that guess true, we yes. could, I guess without uh, any further fluffing here, we could just kind of jump right into the interview here, and and then we'll address that little bit of a teaser towards the end of the show here. So, uh, with that said. Here is the, I guess, second part, but really kind of its own standalone thing. Our second interview for the second consecutive week with Jesse Scaglione, this time the West Virginia Chief Operating Officer, although he's also still the Operating Officer of the Lexington Legend. So here you go. All right, we are back again with the first repeat guest on the Indie Ball Report podcast, and actually our first consecutive guest at that. So uh, yes. last last week he had a different title, but you know now he still has kind of the same title, only with West Virginia and Lexington. Now Jesse Scaglione joins the program again. Now, so again, how are you doing? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me again. I fully expect to get some sort of like trophy or plaque now for that prestigious award for being back to back. And uh, I'm excited to be here and talk about a different team. I guess we could talk about both teams. Yeah, technically we could talk about both. And, you know, I know uh, someone from the Lexington office was sending us like a hat and a shirt or whatever. So I could yeah. just reuse the packing labels and everything, put it right back in the box and send it right back out. I love it. I love it. We can definitely do that. Cost efficient, environmentally friendly. It just works on every front. <laughs> it's our goal here, you know? Exactly. Be smart about things. Exactly. It's green on every front on this show. So, uh, <clears throat> obviously, uh, there was a lot of big news there this past week with, uh, involving West Virginia. So I feel like I got to just tackle the obvious question here first and go with, uh, so, how did this all come about and how did you wind up getting uh, West Virginia? <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to say, so I, I brought up before on the last time we spoke, our team president and our uh, managing partner, Andy Shea, who is now basically, you know, the owner for both teams has really been busting his butt trying to make sure that baseball happened first and foremost in Lexington started with the battle of the bourbon trail. This time it was getting us into the Atlantic league and, making sure that when we were talking to other teams in similar situations, uh, the West Virginia Power Ownership Group, which was Tim Wilcox and Steve White, who are still minority partners of the team in West Virginia, were asking a lot of questions in terms of how to operate independently, and that's something that we kind of feel we did a great job of with this summer. So at first we you know, talked about giving them some advice on rosters and things like that and how to build a roster and maybe, hey, we'll help you build a team as consultants and so on and so forth. And I don't really know the, the specific details of what, you know, happened to get to that next point, but it got to that next level and we decided, you know what, it'd be great for us to, to become part of the ownership group there and buy in and really bring our knowledge and success from Lexington into Charleston, which is already a great South Atlantic League former team and now an Atlantic League team. We want to continue to elevate that and grow that and, you know, really bring a, a strong on-field product to that ballpark and, and pack that place out when it's time. Yeah, and so I was wondering, like, when did you, like, first find out about this? Because you were saying you were talking with all these other teams that were part of the contraction list and you want to bring this whole kind of uh, fun style that they know in Lexington into West Virginia. So I was wondering, obviously, when you kind of found out about this. And then secondly, how do the two markets differ from each other? Because obviously, you're somewhat familiar with West Virginia from being in the same league as them for many years. But there's clearly differences between the two markets. Absolutely. So in terms of coming together, this happened very quickly um, in certain levels. And in certain pieces, it took a while. We were working with those guys, um, Andy specifically, been working with those guys on trying to figure out how to make this work contractually and, and also just to keep the best interest of the team in West Virginia, right? Because if you're selling a baseball team, I imagine you don't want to leave people behind or leave the city behind. So mm. we worked with the city on this. We worked with Rick White. Atlantic League had kind of helped um, suggest some stuff and, and also with the West Virginia ownership. And so that happened a couple of weeks ago, finalized, and then – Everything kind of happened very quickly. That's, I joked, you know, last time about Mystery Team X yeah. fully knowing that it was about to happen with us. And so I didn't yeah. want to spoil anything last week, but it, it, again, it all happened quickly. On market size and things like that, they're very different. Um, you know, they're both regionally in the same area, but Charleston's a little smaller, obviously, than Lexington is and has a different history, a little bit of a longer history with professional baseball there. They've had a lot more affiliates and different levels of play. And so, 
from talking to the community, uh, I was there last week in the press conference. Everyone's really excited about this, really excited to have baseball back, just like Lexington. But we expect this to be um, a little more group ticket heavy than season ticket heavy. Lexington's a little different mm. in that stretch. But really, it's still a baseball town. You know, they're, I think this, the, the fans there will be really excited um, as we announce players and, and coaches and things like that. And we'll have the toast man in play, and he's a huge advocate for us as well on the fan side. So I think from that standpoint, you know, the markets are similar. Uh, there's a nice draw in the area. You know, in Lexington, we battle against, you know, a major university. Um, in, in West Virginia, we've got a little more territorial space, I'll say. So we're excited about that. And then the other great thing about it is our rivalry is now fully intact. And, and we actually got a question about the rivalry between the two uh, uh, teams now. And so I want to get to that in a minute. But first, I feel like I should probably bring Will into the conversation here because I also know he wants to talk about the Toastman because he's the one who told me about this guy. Oh, yes. And I'm very, very, <laughs> very intrigued about him. Right. So uh, but before I get to the Toastman, I definitely I, I promise you I will get to that. Uh, Jesse, I just want to know kind of like from your perspective and I guess also from like a front office perspective, how are you going to balance the COO role uh, between Lexington and West Virginia? Because I'm assuming you have some pretty major responsibilities in, with both teams. Yeah, I've basically decided I'm just going to take a break from sleeping this year and get back on that <laughs> in the offseason. No, I, you know what? It, it's definitely going to be a, a balancing act for sure. But we also have a couple other members of our management team who will be introduced in the next week or so who are part of this pseudo ownership group um, that are actually there right now in Charleston, meeting with existing staff, learning about existing client bases, things like that. And those, those staff members are very experienced operators in minor league baseball and, and understand how to do it. So they'll be doing a lot of one thing. I'll be doing a lot of a different piece of the job. So it's just going to be kind of a lot of learning on my end to see what I need to do and what can't be done. The nice thing is, we're not starting from total scratch in either, you know, in this place and we're in a good spot in Lexington. So I have a great staff in Lexington that I can rely on to get things done. And I have great people uh, in Charleston as well. And so I'll be spending my time driving between the two. Uh, I actually live in Portland, Maine. So I'll be spending time driving between Portland, Maine, Charleston, West Virginia, and Lexington, Kentucky. But it's just, this is what I live to do. And this is the best for me. So being able to do this on double time now is even better. Right. So, and as far as as far as the toast, man, because I think I think we definitely have to get into that. Definitely get into that. So, for people who have no idea who the toast man is, I can assume that's a good amount of uh, Atlantic League teams, uh, Atlantic League fans. Uh, I do know that players who played in the South Atlantic League coming up uh, through whatever minor league system they were playing for, they certainly know as an opposing team about um about the toast man so can you just briefly explain who the toast man is and, and what he means like to um to the charleston market for for baseball so the toast man whose, whose real name is rod blackstone is an is a legend in the south atlantic league and in, in west virginia baseball uh rod has had many jobs surrounding the team he was the director of fun uh as of last season or two seasons ago helped plan the all-star game there for the Sally League, but. Most importantly, he is a season ticket holder and he is in charge of the head of the Rowdies, which is a fan group there. And I'm not kidding you when I say this. He has an actual toaster in Rod's season ticket seat area. Okay. And so what Rod does is he will dig up dirt on the opposing team 
and he will really get into it. I mean, he will get in guys' heads, and he really gets there. And every time they strike out, he will yell, you're toast, and throw a piece of toast in the air and have it pop out of the toaster. <laughs> it's a legitimate thing. And so I told him the other day, I don't understand why he doesn't own a bakery, but that's a whole separate conversation. But he is known as this extremely passionate fan. And the other part of this that people don't know is he actually used to be deputy mayor really? for the city of Charleston and is really? very involved in, yeah, and he's very involved in politics and knows everyone in the community. And he's such a strong, you know, supporter of the team and of the city of Charleston. And, you know, we were at lunch after the press conference and I think he's probably said hello to about 15 people in the hour we were sitting outside and everyone knows who he is. I've had players reach out and said, you know, Hey, I saw West Virginia's in the league. Is the still there? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, I got to prepare to deal with that. He, he gets in my head every time. And our manager remembers playing, you know, playing against them and, and having him. So he's a legend. He, he is an absolute legend. Right. And just to clarify, this, like this is like well thought out, like trash talk, like well researched, well thought out trash talk. Oh yeah, just, like yelling incoherently. Oh yeah, this is like very well thought out. We had a, a, a catcher who played for us in Lexington, who um, unfortunately he had been hit in the face with a fastball, and you know that was he came back to play and was in the home run derby a couple years ago, and that was the only thing that was like the only line that he didn't cross was that part. Of it. Anything else in his past. Batting average, high school batting average, the fact that he was a first round pick and signed for a million bucks and never made it past double A. I mean, like, really deep stuff. And when you sit that close, you hear it. Like, it gets in your head and stuff. So he is interesting. You know, on the flip side, he could not be nicer. Every story I've heard about him is, you know, after the game, he's buying dinner, taking players out, making sure the guys know it's, it's all in good fun. Uh, he's got a great relationship with all of the former West Virginia power players. As we've gone and looked at signing Atlantic League guys, he has been very helpful in saying, hey, I know this guy, I remember this guy, this guy, and so on and so forth. And so it's funny, when we announced the team, there was several repetitive questions to us in the media. The number one question on social media was, will the Toast Man be back? And I can honestly say yes. That is great news. And I know... Uh, Nick, before, before I move on, Nick, I definitely want to give you the opportunity to ask any Toastman questions uh, you, you might have. <laughs> like, there, there's just a lot to unpack with this guy. Like, there's just no way that there isn't, like, 15,000 questions here. But the most important one, and the one that I will get to to keep the flow going, is what are the odds we can get to Toastman on this show? Because he sounds like the perfect guest, to be honest with you. I can make a phone call for you, and I can that can happen. He will... He would love to come on and talk about baseball in Charleston and, and how important it is that the team kept going. You know, the one thing we, there was a press conference a couple months ago now when the, when the contraction list came out and it was in West Virginia and it was with the management and the ownership and they were talking to the media saying, listen, we're acknowledging this happened. You know, we're not going away. We don't know what the future holds. And the one piece of that press conference that really struck with me was that they asked the toast man, Hey, you're a season ticket holder. You've been a season ticket holder forever. Are you still going to go to games if they join another league or whatever happens? And he said, absolutely. The most important thing is we have professional baseball in Charleston. We have that outlet for fun. And that really, really stood out for me. And so he's been unbelievably helpful in this transition for us. We've met with him a couple of times now. He has another job as well. So he's balancing all that. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, look to him as that 
fan leader because he knows so much about the business side and so much about what's going on. And, and we're really grateful to have him back in the fold for sure. Okay. Because I, I really, I really do want to talk to this guy. And with that answer there, I especially want to talk to him now because he sounds like, like I said, the perfect guest and he sounds like a really fun guy too, which is. He, he, he gave an entire presentation at the All-Star game in 2019 on the history of professional baseball in Charleston. I mean, this guy is, is passion through and through. Wow. Yeah, I guess uh, I'll, I'll, we'll keep going here because he's done a pretty damn good job so far. And I'm sure he has questions about uh, your managerial hire and everything like that, too. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, although to follow up on the uh, on the whole history of baseball in Charleston, that's something I, I definitely wanted to touch on uh, with you, Jesse, because as you know, they've had former names like before the West Virginia Power. You had the Charleston Wheelers. You had the Charleston Alley Cats. Was there any thought, or maybe is it a possibility down the road that that uh, the West Virginia Power might turn back to some of some of their roots to maybe take out the West Virginia name and go back to Charleston? Or do you think the West Virginia Power, the name, is absolutely here to stay? It's funny that was one of the the other big points on social media everyone you know kept saying hey are you guys rebranding are you rebranding rebranding as of right now no we're, we're not rebranding i mean the, the season starts in may that, that would be kind of crazy to so rebrand a team is a lot more than people think it is i mean you're talking about when you rebrand every piece of merchandise every sign in the ballpark every business card letterhead i mean it's so much but no we don't have any plans to rebrand right now you know i think there is some validity to people asking about changing the color scheme, maybe away from, you know, it was designed, I guess, around the Pittsburgh Pirates affiliation a few years ago. Uh, and we're open to anything. We, you know, I talked to a couple of fans this morning, actually, about this who had, we just wanted to touch base on season ticket stuff. And, you know, they said, don't change the names. You know, power is such a big part of West Virginia and, and what we do. So I don't know yet. You know, I don't want to lie and just say, no, we're not going to do it and then do it or tell you we're going to do it. We don't know yet. Um, we're definitely going to get through this season first and figure everything out. Mm. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That, that's something I, I was curious about because at least you don't see a ton of minor league ta- teams with like the, the state name, uh, like in the, in the team title. So that, that's, that's something I was, I was, I was interested in. And I guess, um, the, the one thing I wanted to, uh, to touch on before I give it back to Nick, I'm sure plenty of talk about, about Mark Minakazi. Uh, the managerial hire, but there's so much history of baseball in, in Charleston, West Virginia. Although I'm sure, at least from your perspective, I'm sure you would like the attendance, the attendance numbers, at least at the end of their run as an affiliated market to be a little bit higher. So now that you guys are coming in, uh, your group is coming in from, from Lexington. Is there anything that you'd think you'd like to change about um, the, the West Virginia power and kind of maybe, maybe more on like the marketing promotional side of things that you think that, uh, that you can improve the, the attendance in West Virginia. Cause that's something, uh, something I was, I was interested to know. I am very confident in the fact that we will improve the attendance numbers in West Virginia. It's not a secret that the numbers have gone down the last few years. We're not hiding behind that. You know, it's, it's not about, <laughs> playing nice and things like that. The numbers are what they are, um, and they were down, and we fully expect those numbers to come back up. You know, one of the things that has really been a, a guiding light for us is, you know, some of the fans who have been season ticket holders have been really excited and reached out and said, listen, we're coming back. We're going to be out there this year. 
And so we know that the returning fan base is really on board, but it's now looking to find out who has not been coming to games and ways to get those. So our marketing will definitely change for that. One of the things that the legends have done really well, and I'm not saying the power haven't, but something that we think we can really bring to this table is community relations and community pieces of our business. You know, in Lexington, we sponsor, I'd say about 10 to 15 little leagues on average per year. Um, we get the support from that. We do a lot with schools and, and programs and educational programs. So we want to bring that knowledge to Charleston and really use that in our advantage to get more tickets and attendance numbers. Additionally, we're going to be hiring more people. Uh, we're going to be bringing in some more sales reps, account executives, things like that. You know, the, the power front office over the last few years has done unbelievable with a small group. But now we want to bring in more folks. So we're actually going to be bringing in some full-time jobs into the city as well, which helps with that, you know, city impact. Okay, yeah, that's uh, that helps a lot. And I guess as we're probably transitioning into talking about the coaching staff, I, I'll throw that back over to Nick. I know he has some questions about uh, the managerial hire for sure. Yeah, so as far as the managerial hire was concerned, I was kind of curious what drew you to uh, to Mark and, like, what was that kind of uh, appeal to go to him, I assume it's similar to the he knows the Atlantic League. He's fairly well versed in that, but again, he's a guy that doesn't have much coaching experience. And I was just kind of interested in what kind of made him the choice. Yeah, so Mark is an unbelievable hire for us in the sense that we know him, we trust him. I talked about this with PJ a bunch, where we wanted to have some comfort with someone we knew, trusted to get the job done correctly, but also knew and understood what it meant to work for us and what we expect. So Mark Minikazi was a minor league baseball player, played in the Atlantic League, big college standout of East Carolina. He also was a big high school baseball standout and was part of a team that featured Andy Shea. <laughs> so these high school uh, friends with our team owner, Andy, they grew up together, they're best friends. You know, one of the things we talked about was being able to provide opportunities for people that we know and trusted. And we think that, you know, having that connection to Mark definitely helped put him at the forefront of this but on top of that just already in a couple of weeks we've had mark on board he has been so unbelievable in proving his worth to us by going out and getting some big name players for this team that will hopefully be announcing the next week or so last time i told you guys that we dropped like eight players on you for lexington so i apologize but we'll be you know announcing that and then also with mark's experience in the atlantic league he very much was in the atlantic league when he was a little older in a place to understand and digest all this stuff he wants to be involved in coaching. And so he's been able to look at this from a different perspective as a first-time coach and saying, hey, I know what it takes to deal with all the travel and deal with all the on-field relations and the off-field and getting guys signed and all this stuff. And so when we talked to him about this, you know, we, we did a, a lot of due diligence for this manager position. We talked to a handful of guys. He stood out on every level. Yeah, and I noticed you guys seem to have a – have a tendency to hire younger managers at least it seems like you're hiring guys more in their 30s and so i was also kind of wondering if there's any reason for that or if it just so happens to work out that way i think i I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent intentional but we've definitely talked over the years about wanting to give people opportunities you know so many times guys get recycled in these positions whether it's major league baseball minor league baseball independent affiliated whatever it is guys are getting recycled just because they've been there before. And we truly believe that people deserve to get a chance to start something. And that's how we do. We hire, you know, front office staff, Mm. interns, things like that. So we did intentionally look to find some guys additionally who maybe were getting overlooked to give them their first crack at this. 
Very cool there. And so I guess on the note of, uh, you know, kind of coaching staff hires, we know, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, fairly recently announced that Dave Island's going to be the pitching coach in Lexington. So obviously a huge hire there. And I was kind of curious to know, are we going to see anything similar to that in West Virginia? Are we going to have some sort of big name uh, coming from uh, from there? Let me say this. First of all, Dave Island uh, is an unbelievable grab for us. You know, we talked extensively with our manager, PJ, about this. Dave Island is a World Series champion pitching coach. Won two World Series, Yankees and Royals. Knows a ton about how to be a pitcher in a professional setting. He's also worked with some of the pitchers we've signed already, which is a nice connection for us. Mm. And, you know, I think I put this on Twitter. We want people to understand this is serious. This is real professional baseball. This isn't some Sandlot semi-pro league. We want the best possible people in place to help our players develop. And so having a big-time, big-league pitching coach is huge. So on the West Virginia side, you shouldn't think anything different, right? Yep. So you are the first people that I'm telling this to publicly. The press release will go out in a little bit after this. Um, but our pitching coach in Charleston will be Paul Menard. Okay. Paul was the 2019 Washington Nationals World Series champion pitching coach. Mm-hmm. He's been in the game for a long time. And then our hitting coach will actually be another name in the business, Ken Joyce, who okay. was recently with the Trenton Thunder for the Yankees, has been with the Portland Sea Dogs, all kinds of teams, was actually one of the managers uh, for the Alley Cat the last season in West Virginia as the Alley Cat. So a lot of connections there as well. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice, well put together staff there. And I'm sure, Will, you got some, some comments on that. So I'll let you uh, speak on that. Yeah, so how would... So that, that those are those both sound like terrific hires as far as uh, for the coaching staff. Um, I guess did did either of them have any past relationships with with Mark Minikazi that 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 uh, helped out those hires? Were they still getting to know each other? And, and what a great question! Those two hires came directly from Mark Minikazi. Those are Mark Minikazi hires, guys. and that's and that is what I'm talking about when I say this guy is, you know knows baseball through and through. He has been around. He's met so many people. He is so well connected to the industry. When we hired him as a manager, we asked him, you know, hey, do you have anybody that anybody that you want to bring in on your coaching staff? And immediately it was Paul and Ken right away. I mean, it was conversation lasted like a minute and a half and, and we made those com- those calls for him and we got connected and, and it happened. And so we just made everything official, you know, earlier this week and we could not be more excited to have another big time coaching staff with us. That is awesome. And as far as I guess on the player side, at least officially there, there has not been any um, official announcements as far as any player signs at this point. So now that presumably the, the (laughs) coaching staff announcement will be coming out within the next hour or so. When do you think we just start to see some player announcements and player signings for, for West Virginia? I know the fans are certainly uh, in- interested in that. I would like to get them out pretty soon. Uh, I can tell you right now, there are four players, that, four players who have officially signed their contracts for the power. Uh, two of the four were, I want to say, all-stars in the Atlantic League in 2019. Okay. Maybe 2018. I have to double-check that one. Uh, but they're, they're big names and they work out really well for what we're looking for. Uh, the other two are very talented arms that can throw the ball up in the 97 to 98 mile an hour range, which is huge for us. We like we like guys who throw cheese. Um, 97, 98. 
<laughs> so we this is the this is the great thing. So with the experienced manager and experienced coaches and, and what we've done is we've been able to create this network of players and use their networks as well. And so we've gone out and vetted every player we've talked to on both Lexington and Western Union's rosters and we feel really good about what we're building. And I think from what you've seen in Lexington, you will start to see some similarities in West Virginia. And from the Lexington perspective, I, I know Nick and I have talked uh, pretty, exten- pretty extensively about this. It seems that, at least early on, the emphasis is pitching, 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 right? And, uh, and, and not to say that there's – of course, there's going to be position players signed down the road, but it really seems like there's an emphasis on pitching. I guess why is that for you guys and, and what makes it important for you guys to really hammer home the starting rotation and, and pitching depth for you guys as you make the transition into indie ball? I will say that two things are, are in play here. One, for Lexington pitching, it, it wasn't intentional. It just kind of worked out that way that our early on signings were pitchers and, and guys we talked to. Um, we want to have a very competitive camp with our pitchers. We want to make sure we have big-time arms. Hey, we, we know how fragile arms can be, especially coming off a year where a lot of guys weren't playing competitively. So we want to make sure that we've got good depth there. Also, we've seen what works and doesn't work in the league, and we wanted to make sure that you know we were pitching strong. Now, that's not to say that we don't have some big bats. We actually have a couple of really big bats that we're going to announce here in the next week or so, and I think that might take the focus off the pitching a little bit. But until then, we will be the pitching-heavy team. In West Virginia, the guys that we've signed – um, it's two and two so far. So no no skew towards one position or the other. It just kind of worked out that way in Lexington. Okay. And I, I guess the one guy I, – I did want to ask about one specific guy that you did sign in Lexington yeah. before I throw it back to Nick. So as, as you know, Jesse, that we've talked funny about off air, I am a huge Boston Red Sox fan. So yeah, no – no, no, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Uh, so – I am very, very familiar with, with Henry Owens, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm well versed in the world of, uh, of Henry Owens, and so with him specifically, we know he has the stuff. He, he, he has, he has big league stuff, and you even saw in the American Association in, in 2019 that he doesn't give up much contact, strikes out a lot of batters, control. Not not always there has not always been consistent and that's been a big hurdle for him uh, so far in his career. So I guess do you do you envision like a role for Henry Owens early on and 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 do you guys see something in Henry Owens that like oh this is the tweak he has to make and now we can unlock what so many scouts have been saying about him for so long? Yeah, you know, first of all, I think Henry Owens is one of the just greatest people I've ever worked with and met. He played for us this summer in the Battle of the Bourbon Trail. Uh, when he came into camp, you know, he definitely knew who he was just from being the name and, and all that good stuff. But Henry, he's great. He really wants to, you know, be successful. He does work his butt off. And I'll tell you this, during the summer, he worked with some of our pitching guys here in Lexington that were helping out the Bourbon Trail. Specifically, actually, our, our baseball ops manager, Mike Coltak, who you referenced earlier, yeah. sending some swag. Yeah. And they found a couple of things that they just felt like he wasn't doing correctly or he needed to work on. And they changed those up. And towards the end of the bourbon trail stuff, he was dominant. I mean, this guy was, his changeup is unbelievable. Everyone knows about his fastball and he can gas it up. 
you know, you saw the jokes about uh, me catching a bullpen, I think, during the last one, and I know I'm going to be for saying this. That's whose bullpen I caught was okay. Henry Owens, which is so scary, but that, we'll get to that another time. He, I, I truly believe that he has the stuff still and knows what to change, that he can get back to the big leagues. And I think adding, you know, um, a, a Dave Island into that mix for him yeah. is going to be unbelievably helpful and going to be such a great pairing. You know, I think most of the people that we signed, people know in some form or fashion, but Henry is definitely that pitcher for us that people know and, and they're going to want to watch. And I think they're going to be pretty surprised to see how far he's come from, you know, where he was even two years ago. Yeah. And that's going to, that is going to be fascinating for me to watch because even though in his time with the Red Sox, it didn't really work out. Nothing would make me happier than to see, uh, than to see Henry Owens put it all together. And, and I'm sure as you know, if he, if he puts it all together early on, I, I don't, not sure he'll be, uh, unfor- I guess unfortunately, he won't, I, I don't think he'll be with the Lexington Legends too long if, if he figures it out, if you know what I mean. I, you know, it's so funny. I hope, I hope you're right. Like, I, I don't want to see him. I've joked to him about this before. I'm like, you know what? We want you to be so good that we only see you for a little bit. And I think that applies. To Henry, absolutely perfectly. If, if Hank figures it out, if he comes out of the gate strong, he will get signed very quickly because he is. You just can't give up on a guy like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I guess I know I've been talking for a while, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll send it back over to Nick. Yeah, I gotta know how was your hand after that bullpen? Brutal. I mean, first of all, I only caught like maybe like one of twenty pitches every twenty pitches he threw. Okay. I mean this this changeup was going unbelievable. I couldn't. They were telling me where to put my glove. Didn't matter. This thing has his mind of its own. And then at the end of the bullpen, he decided he wanted to try to get up to 95 again. So he started throwing about 95 miles an hour. And uh, I had to do, put some ice on it. I am not the young spry catcher I thought I was. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine you were walking around with a bucket of ice for another hour after that. <laughs> it definitely wasn't the smartest decision, but it was so much fun. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, so I guess as far as the actually related to the team before we get into some of the uh, fun questions I only have a couple left uh, and they do backtrack a little bit but it's a worthwhile backtrack I know in West Virginia one of the local things here and I know it's not in Charleston it's in technically Point Pleasant it's this whole like Mothman thing I don't know all the details behind it I only have heard about in passing but what I thought could be a decent promo, and feel free to kill it if you want, would be when they have their Mothman Festival thing in September, because I know that's a thing out there, to do like a weekend promo where the team changes their name to the Mothman. Just like a short weekend thing like we're kind of accustomed to seeing across to minor league baseball. Would that be something of interest? You know what? <laughs> I just learned about this as well. Yeah. Um, about an hour and a half ago, someone brought this up to me. And showed me all this stuff. You never know. I, I, I personally think it'd be cool. Yeah. I'm all about it, but you never know. That's part of what we're looking at in terms of marketing promotions and ways to kind of re-engage with the community and the fan base is changing it up a little bit and finding out. We've been talking to fans. Hey, what works? What doesn't work? What do you think we can do differently? And things like that in our mind play really well. And so we're going to look at how to create some of those, you know, themes and promotions that really sit well and, and connect to the community. Yeah. And then there's two other kind of promotional things I did want to bring up because I was thinking about that as uh, ways to try and get the fan base engaged and try and help out the attendance and really kind of 
make a difference here and say, look, we're a new group of people. We have some familiar faces here in the ownership group. You're going to see familiar faces around the ballpark too, but we are different. We're going to do some different things here. And a couple of the other promotional things that I thought of, and one that specifically came to my mind when you're mentioning you want to get more involved in the community, was perhaps doing a thing where you have a handful of players and whenever they hit a home run, maybe money goes to a charity via a sponsor or something like that. Uh, would that be something of interest? And then the second thing is, would like creating some sort of an app to get more fan engagement constantly, so both at the ballpark and at home, would that be something of interest, whether it's now or down the line? You know, the app thing is such a great question. We, we go through this every year. We talk about like, you know, what we can and can't do with apps. And we were kind of with, with the major league baseball, minor league baseball stuff, we had to use their app. And so yeah. it wasn't designed to be a really an engagement piece, but it, it existed and we had to use that. We've definitely talked about that. I don't, you know, for 2021, I'd say probably not, but we work with a company in Lexington. Uh, their name was, they just changed their name and I can't think of it. And I apologize to them, but they actually created a, um, an app that used augmented reality in our ballpark and had baseball cards hidden around the field and fans had to find them and they got prizes for that. And so that kind of stuff we're definitely going to look at and figure out how we can, you know, bring out in terms of figuring out, you know, the community relations and the charity piece. That is, yes, that's something that we do really well in Lexington that we would like to bring over there. You know, we have sponsors who donate money in Lexington to Alzheimer's research, breast cancer research, you name it, we're involved in it in some way. And the fans in Charleston can expect a lot more of that as well. You know, we think listening to the community and what they're, what they care about is really important. And so we're going to send out some fan surveys and conduct some calls with existing clients and future clients over there as well in the next few weeks to see what hammers home for them. Very cool. And it's funny you mentioned AR because that is one of the things that kind of came to my mind here because I was thinking like, well, things like Pokemon Go and whatnot are fairly large still. They were more so a couple of years back, but even still are fairly large. And if you could hide like little uh, kind of digital collectibles around the ballpark or even say at local sponsors, like if you have small businesses and whatnot, and if you go there and you scan a QR code or something, you get like a digital baseball card, like you're saying, something like that even could really encourage engagement. And one of the teams that does have an app that I think does probably underutilize a little bit here, but did have some good fan engagement from it was Somerset's app. I will say they did a lot with like loyalty points for showing up. They'd give you points for that. They'd have, you know, their weekly trivia and things like that. So uh, something like that, I think would definitely help with fan engagement overall. You know what? We're going to have to call those guys up and find out what they're doing. Yeah. So uh, with that, I think that just about does it for all the actual baseball related questions I have. I'm not sure, Will, if you have anything else left that you wanted to get to before we get to the, the real fun and off the rails part of this interview. So uh, if you do, uh, I'm going to advise you that now is the time to get that done. I, th- I, th- I think I've asked all my baseball questions, so I'm ready for the uh, off the rails part of the interview. I will say this. On the baseball side of things, you know, yeah. the one thing that we want the, the fans in Charleston to know and what we're really excited for is that the best part about this is we are so excited to be in Charleston. We are so excited to get involved with every little, you know, aspect of the business. And the mayor, American, when she has been so unbelievably supportive and Matt Sutton, who's the chief of staff there also, they've been asking us, you know, anything we need they can help with. And so we just want to thank 
the city, the fan base for embracing this and welcoming us. And, you know, we want to prove that, that we can do this for them. And, and hopefully once we get through, you know, COVID and things like that, then we can pack that ballpark out every night again. And, you know, we're going to make it about the community just like we did in Lexington. We're going to be involved with Marshall and West Virginia University in College of Charleston. And we're going to have high school. I think we have the high school baseball finals there again this year. Um, special events, concerts, things like that. We want to make this ballpark a destination and, and really utilize the real estate we have with the downtown. So we're excited and we can't wait to get started. Yep, absolutely. Having a, a supportive local government and local fan base is critical to any team's success. So, uh, yep. So with that said, uh, we're going to start with this off the rail section with a question <laughs> I think we all are dying to know, which is what is the hair routine like? Because we got way too many questions about the your hair and everything about it, so we need to get this out of the way fairly early on. So we need to know what the what the hair routine is like. Um, I'm, you know, I take a lot of pride in my hair. It's, it is the greatest feature I have. Uh, I come from a long line of bald men, so the fact that I've got a full head of hair is pretty astonishing. Uh, I get a lot of questions about this. I use a very special high end product called Head and Shoulders. Uh, definitely <laughs> is is the go to. A little bit of tea tree oil uh, paste for my hair sometimes. You get the good, as my boss calls it, the good quaff going. And, uh, yeah, hopefully when I get my headshot updated, you'll see how truly spectacular my hair is. There's been a lot of questions about if it's real or fake. I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to let that just go out there, and we'll see what people think. Uh, now you know the rumor mill is going to go to work. <laughs> That's, I, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, so... I guess moving on uh, from the hair piece here, uh, we got a slew of questions about the Yankees here. And the first one is one that I have for, my, for you personally, which is uh, what kind of Yankee fan misspells Mariano Rivera's last name? Oh, that is the most embarrassing thing I've ever done professionally or personally in my life was leave the A off Rivera in the press release for Dave Island. I did not catch it. Someone in my office called me and asked me if I was okay, showed it to me. I saw your all's tweet about it, and I he's going to be so mad at me. We met one time, so we're obviously best friends. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, basically. Except it's Dave Island, I think he's going to send it off to you. And so that's going to come back to haunt me for a long time, I think. It, look, it could be worse. I keep a whole slew of screenshots from various teams that messed up. And that's far, oh, that's on the low end of things. I mean, like, I have one from when High Point's website was just down for six hours for no reason. <laughs> I love that. Well, is that even not the worst offender? Then it's all good. Oh, no, there's, there's far worse. Let me tell you, there's a lot worse than just one, uh, slight misspelling there. But, uh, hopefully Mo forgives me. He understands I was under some pressure and time crunch and, you know, we'll, oh. we'll move on. I know. Well, so there's a reason you're still working in minor league baseball, and that that's part of it. <laughs> I have to get my shots in where I can. Uh, and continuing with the theme of Mo, would you rather have him or Jeets when you fight the bear? <laughs> that is definitely uh, Mariano Rivera's answer to that one. See. I'm gonna. I gotta disagree with you here. I think Jeter would be better because he's gonna bring some sort of a gift basket for the bear, and that's gonna distract him. Oh, the gift basket, huh? Yeah. I, I think I know who asked that question, so we'll let that one go. All right. Oh, uh, I see you, Phil. <laughs> well, do you have anything off the rails to add in here? Because I got two more left, and then I think the this whole bit will play itself out. 
No, I don't think it ever will. I think that my uh, my friends continue to troll me. I saw a couple of different questions out there to see if you get to them or not. But yeah. you know, the Yankee the Yankee thing is really uh, I've been getting hammered about that one left and right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there was one that said you got very defensive when the story started circulating that you were the one person who didn't vote for Jeter, uh, first ballot <laughs> Hall of Famer, and it was pretty clear that you were trying to cover something up. Would you like to elaborate on that? I am not the one person who didn't vote for Derek Jeter. Let that be clear. I do not have a BBWA vote. I do not have a Hall of Fame vote. I personally feel that Derek Jeter is the first ballot Hall of Famer and is the greatest shortstop of all time and, and most clutch player of all time, and no one can tell me differently. But someone in my office, <clears throat> maybe the, I don't know, president of the team, started spreading rumors that I was the one who didn't vote for Derek Jeter. And I got so much attention on social media from people just coming at me real hot about this thing. I, you know, he was telling this to writers. I think he told this to a certain Baseball America writer as a joke one time in front of me. I mean, we were at the winter meetings. This came up. This is, this has been haunting me for years. <laughs> this one's just oh, ongoing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say De- Derek Jeter is an ab- he's absolutely a first ballot Hall of Famer. However, as the uh, as an as the analytics guy that I am, I cannot get behind greatest shortstop of all time. That's that's not something I could get behind. I mean, look, we can go on all day. I'm an analytics guy too, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just need the numbers to not be there. And this guy, you know, his his record speaks for itself, and what he did and what he was able to bring together on a team. You know, I wasn't there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> all I can. Fair enough. Yeah. All exactly. I can. Add, yeah. All I can add to this is, as far as Jeter's concerned, it means very little to me being a Met fan because I just don't like to look at the Yankees at all because they just make me upset. But what I do know is the few Yankee fans that I I am friends with. I every day just keep sending them pictures of Derek Jeter photoshopped into a Red Sox jersey. And I just love watching oh. the reaction. That hurts. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. That would. I've always been asked that question when you know when big guys get traded in sports. How would you feel if your you know favorite player went to the rival? And that's always. I understand the business of baseball. It's what I do for a living. I understand it's not as simple. But that was a guy who proved he would never do that when he didn't play the field in Fenway that last year in Boston or last year in the league. So I yeah. think. We would have been safe there. On that note, still, I do have to know because I saw this one tossed out there too. A Rod or Jeets, who's taking a bath in the Hudson? A Rod. Okay, good. We're all on the same page on that one. Yeah, that, that is, yeah, A Rod through and through. I, I don't hide that. Yeah, I mean, like, all I'm going to say is A Rod <laughs> tried to, to really screw us over on ownership here. So, you know, I'm happy with Cohen over A Rod. So, A Rod goes into the dish. But, the last you want Taylor and Aaron running the Mets. You know, the Wilpon year's been cruel enough. I don't need to see that again. Already, I'm like on a vendetta against the DH. That's been my one thing where I, I, I can't. Will sign here because he's disagreeing with me here. But as far as I'm concerned, the DH is a sin against baseball and shouldn't exist because it's not a real position. For it to be a real position, you got to play the field. Jesse, you fair. don't understand. You don't understand. He 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 said he will not watch baseball. Like he refuses to watch any MLB games 
when if if there is a universal DH. So he did not watch any games last year. Zero. What what I wow. said what I said was the DH has no business in the National League. If the AL wants to use it, that's fine. They can use it, but it shouldn't be in the National League. And if so it's in the National so you League, you don't think pitchers need to be protected? No. They should be, if they play the field, they should hit. It's as simple as that. The DH is not a real position. Plus, I'd argue baseball is supposed to be entertaining. And while there is a school of thought where, oh, pitchers aren't good at hitting, that means when they do hit well, it's even more entertaining. I wouldn't trade Bartolo Colon's home run for anything. Hell, I remember watching Met games where the pitchers were the lone so- source of offense. And it was amazing. You know, I think that the issue with the DH is so much more than just the fan base piece of it. It's become really a business move. You know, you've got so many guys out there now who are veteran DH candidate, you know, guys yeah. at the end of their career. Look at Nelson Cruz. I mean, what happened with that? He's become a, a monster again. And, yeah. you know, in the National League, without having the DH, you expose your pitchers, especially if you have a fragile pitcher. And then on top of that, you're not employing all these players. And so I think from a union standpoint and from the standpoint of we need to get these guys signed and make sure they're still playing, the DH is important because then it, it keeps more players employed in the league instead of just always going to the cheaper, younger option. So from that standpoint, I like it. I do get what you're saying. I do believe that having the pitcher hit is a specialty. I mean, I can't tell you how many pitchers I've seen hit home runs. I watched, I'm pretty sure I watched Rob Carson hit a home run in double A. So I mean, <laughs> It's possible. Yeah, like that, I'm oh, just saying, it's yes. a special moment and it's enjoyable. And I think that is also one of the things that, like, when I think of baseball, I think of a sport that's kind of just unique in its own right. And there's just little things that are different about it that make it special. I mean, I, if as far as I know, as far as major professional sports go, it's the only one that doesn't really have a uniform field in every regard. Sure, the base paths are uniform, but as far as how the outfield wall goes, that's different. And the DH is one of those things that makes the AL and the NL different. If you make the rules the same across the board, then why not just realign everything geographically? Right. Nick, I'm I'm sorry. I have to jump in because you guys were talking about pitchers hitting home runs, and I need to throw this question out there to you, Jesse. Jesse, which which pitcher – trivia question – which pitcher – Lexington Legends have officially announced the signing of has a has uh, hit a home run in 2019. In 2019? Yes, 2019. And it's a pitcher. It's a pitcher. Yes, he is a pitcher. It's gotta be Rob. It's not Rob. It's not Rob. It's not. 2019. Uh, was it? No. Daniel Gibson? No. Who? Kevin McGowan. He homered, he homered in, uh, he homered in double A. He had seven, he had seven at bats with the Harrisburg Senators and one, and he hit a home run as his only hit. That is, and that fantastic. is his, that is his only, that is, is his only professional home run. That is amazing. I'm going to have to text him about that right now. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, he went. Yeah, he went one for nine with a home run. Pitchers that rake. That is amazing. Pitchers that rake are important. Exactly, they're fun for the game. So I guess, and I tell you why, because and I tell you, I and I never look at this. The reason I looked at it was because I was like looking at about to make a post for him, and it says position pitcher and left fielder, and I'm like, what the hell? 
like left fielder. I'm like, I don't know him as a starting pitcher. And I scrolled down and I saw that he hit a home run in 2019. And I kept trying to find a video on it. Like I spent like a good 25 minutes trying to find a video of it so I could post it. And I couldn't find it. But I, I totally forgot about it until now. But yes, Kevin McGowan did hit a home run in double A in 2019. That is amazing. I, you know, we, we joked about this a lot this summer, but I know for a fact Henry Owens wants to get in the box. I think we're going to have to have a pitcher's batting practice this year on Sundays just to keep guys sharp because you never know when those NL teams are going to call. You know, exactly. I'm, I'm really liking this idea. I'm liking the idea of actually even having just a pitcher home run derby as maybe an event oh, on man. one day. Like every, I'm like we would win it. I know. I'm telling you, I'm thinking that this is a wonderful idea. There have been there is a pitcher that will be pitching for one of the two teams. I'm not going to say which team. I don't want to yeah. give anything away. Who is a converted outfielder, and so <clears throat> putting him in the mix would be fantastic for us. Converted oh, outfielder. You sound like a you sound like Rick and Keel. No, it's not Rick and Oh, I think I think I. I don't, I'm not sure if he's still – okay, I think I have a, I have a decent guess because there was a guy who pitched in the Atlantic League 2019 who uh, who, who is a converted outfielder. I don't know. Who, is, who, who are you thinking? Brett Eidner. It's not Brett Eidner. It's a good guess, though. Okay. Because he, he got signed then as a pitcher with the, with the Marlins last year out of, out of the Sugarland League. I oh, want no. to go on record as saying I now have video of Kevin's home run. He just sent me. He said four thirty. Hit four hundred and thirty. Damn! That's what he said. I need to. I, 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 I'm it. sorry. I need to see this video. This is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will send this out there to you guys after this. This is. Yeah, that amazing. that's impressive. Four thirty. Blast! It's, it's no wall scraper. It is an absolute missile that he hit. I mean, he even he's got a little swag. I think he pimped it. Pictures no. that rake. That's that is amazing. That would be posted. I promise you. Right in the middle of the podcast interview, hit him with the quick text and got the video back within seconds. That is awesome. This Thank you, Kevin McGowan, if you're listening. This is why you listen guy. to this show. This is the kind of content you get. Real live hard hitting news. Kevin McGowan, four thirty to right field in Double A. Damn to right in field. Hartford. Yeah, he went Oppo, Oppo Taco. Oppo, four hundred thirty <laughs> feet. That's impressive. That is insane. Looks like we have our DH opening right? I know. That's See, right. Right here, you have a chance to make a statement against the DH. That's all I'm going to say, and perhaps you should take it. Now, I'm not going to tell you to do that, but if it were to happen. I mean, this guy went full bat flip on the home run, too. Pitch was <laughs> down, was supposed to be down her way. The guy left it up, and he just smacked it. Wow. That the extra content you get with the Indie Ball Report. That's what, Second to none. See, I don't think we can do any better than that. Like, I have a couple of other, like, messing around questions here, but I don't think we can actually do better than that. I think we peaked right now. Well, let's I, go. Give him, I want to hear what you got. I want to hear how ridiculous my the fans are out there. My fans... My, both my fans are keep commenting. Okay, so we got, uh, I really only got like one or two left here. The first one is, have you ever been hit by a pitch? And then the second one was related to like the rivalry that you was going to get going between West Virginia and Lexington. And as a result of that, will the West Virginia players be allowed to wear mustaches, seeing as Lexington's kind of cornered the market on that? 
We will allow the power to wear mustaches. The rivalry. So this is something that we talked about, you know, last week. I think we were joking about it, but mm. you know, the two Pennsylvania teams, the two North Carolina teams, there's these built-in geographical rivalries. Lexington and West Virginia are going to be rivals. They've been rivals. We've had things like the Hatfield and McCoy battle over the Golden Pig for a couple times. We've had different, you know, busloads of fans going back and forth. And so we want this to be our rival. We want to, you know, steal the thunder of High Point and Gastonia and we want to push that. So our plan is to have fans going back and forth. Um, actual season ticket holders of either team will be allowed to go to the other ballpark as well as much as they want. There is a little bit of a process in place for the Atlantic League already for that, but we mm. want the West Virginia and the Lexington clients, customers, fans to be able to kind of go back and forth as they please. And so we want to make this really about both cities coming together All right. in, a, in a rivalry sort of way. Yeah. Which Does that I think we'll see the Toastman in Lexington. We will definitely see the post, the Toastman in Lexington. Uh, he is good for at least one legend game a year. He actually was down there for the Battle of the Bourbon Trail this summer as well. Okay. Uh, he he will be down there. Um, you know, we'll probably have to put him in some sort of like suite for protection or something. But you know, who knows? Just let him handle the PA system. What could go wrong? <laughs> the Toastman actually. Here's a fun fact for you. Yeah. The Toastman has a nephew. Okay. Who played for I believe Southern Maryland in 2019. Really. And oh. so the conversation has been, Ten will, yes. Uh, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. So the <laughs> conversation has been, if he comes to play against West Virginia, <laughs> will the Toastman roast Kent Blackstone? Oh, that yeah. is something, because I'm pretty close with Kent Blackstone. I need to, I need to ask him that question. <laughs> Talk to him. He's the guy. He's the expert. He's the Toastman, you know, nephew, little toasty. And, uh, <laughs> You never know. There could be some real family rivalries here. It could make Thanksgiving very interesting after the summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Which I just want to make sure I heard correctly. It's a battle for a golden pig? <laughs> yes. So, okay. for a number of seasons, um, we had a Hatfield and McCoy battle. I'm not sure if you're all familiar with the legend of the Hatfield and McCoy. Yeah, yeah. But that takes place between West Virginia and Kentucky. And so, we actually worked with um, then broadcaster Adam Marco, who's now the voice of the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Railriders, on a cross promotion where we would wear specialty jerseys and we'd have different parts of Eastern Kentucky and, and Western West Virginia come out and you know table displays and talk about the history and the heritage of Hatfield and McCoy. And at stake was a golden pig trophy that we had, and so we we had a very intense rivalry. We played them like some unbelievable number of times in 2017 when we started this in 18 and so when i was in the west virginia power front office last week after the press conference the toast man made sure to show me that he still had the trophy on his desk oh now now i'm really intrigued about this and like you know every time we talk about west virginia i just get more and more interested in this place because it just keeps getting better and better. Like, first, the toast man just took me by surprise. And the fact that this guy carries around a toaster was just, like, mind-boggling to me. And then, the fact that now there's a golden pig trophy, it just keeps getting better and better. You know, the one thing that I want everyone to take away from this, too, is the ballpark is beautiful. And it's a great ballpark to watch a game at. There's a lot of, you know, general admission areas, group areas, suites. The seating bowl is right on the field, so everything feels like they're up close and personal. And 
really excited to see what the Atlantic League fans have to say when they either travel to Charleston, hopefully, or, you know, watch our free broadcasts online. I, I think this is going to be another great addition to the Atlantic League, and I think us and Lexington are really going to help continue the plan of growth within the league. You know, it's sounding more and more like I need to make a a South Division whole road trip and just hit all four teams down there because it just keeps, it sounds like every team down there not only has a great ballpark, but it's just such a well-ran organization that it just would be a very enjoyable experience to go to all of them. And West Virginia is really getting a, a hard sell on me right now. I'm I'm really interested That's in them. That's what we like. That's what we want to hear. Like, and that, that's no this small feat. Too, the, the South Division is going to be unbelievable. I mean, you know, all the teams are, have great rosters and history and stuff like that. But, you know, the South with High Point and, and what they're doing, and then three, the other three new teams in the league are all in the South. There's going to be a chance for some new blood to, you know, be in the playoffs and things like that. And so for us, selfishly, I'm hoping it's Lexington versus Charleston in the playoffs, but we'll mm-hmm. see. I think, you know, the South is going to surprise some people. Yeah, no, I like. Oh, Jesse, just to confirm, because I've actually seen, like, it's, I haven't really gotten a straight answer on this. Is the playoffs two teams or four teams this year? Uh, four teams. Four teams. Okay. Cause, cause I, I would always get confused because on the schedule, uh, on the schedule, it would say, like, it only left like one week for the playoffs. So I assumed it was, oh, it was two. But then York released their schedule. And it had two weeks, so it's good to know there's it's good to yeah, have a straight answer that there's four. There teams are so there bad. there's there's four teams. It's two weeks. The the reason for the two week window too is that we want to allow for time for makeup games that have playoff implications on the line, as well as making sure that everything is you know obviously we're still battling a pandemic, and so we need to make sure safety and we get the number of games in that we would like. And so there's just a little bit of flexibility there with the schedule, but it will be two rounds. I do believe from previous years, the first round will be a shorter series than the last year's was. Okay. Okay. All right. But that hasn't been fine. They're still hammering those details out and getting owners call sometime this week where they'll vote on that stuff. All right. Okay. Cool. So then, uh, yeah, so then I'll just backtrack to, uh, have you ever been hit by a pitch? And at that point, then I'm out of question. So <laughs> I have been hit by a lot of pitches, I believe. That might be my arch nemesis from high school who uh, is actually one of my best friends who drilled me with a fastball and traveled baseball when we were like 14. So, yes, Thomas, you hit me with a pitch. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, Will, you got anything else left to add here? Yeah, right. I, I think I'm about out of questions as well. All right. Well, we went for just about an hour now. The recording didn't freeze up at all. So we should be all set here as I tempt fate by saying that. So – uh, again, like we did last week, if you got anything else left to add, clarify. I mean, you know the drill at this point. You're a veteran of this now. Uh, the I, floor is yours. Yeah, again, you know, thank you guys for having me on it. Back-to-back weeks, different circumstances. We're excited. We're excited about West Virginia joining the league. We're excited that now all of this information is out there. You know, our coaching staffs. We've got some players in Lexington. We've got some more players to announce in Lexington, some players to announce in West Virginia. And we're really just looking forward to kind of turning this league upside down a little bit and getting fans back in the ballpark. You know, it was nice to watch spring training games this week and actually see fans there and the normal baseball happening. So I'm really fired up about this. As always, I am. you guys tell me when I'll be on your show. Yep. I will I'm tell excited. you this much. We're not going to have you on three straight weeks because at that point you become a co-host. Just like what happened to Will. No, no, I'm busy next week. So. Okay, well, that's good. It actually, it, I wouldn't want to take that from Will. I know, really. I mean, that would just be, just swipe him at the knees at that point. Mm-hmm.
We are back again. We thank Jesse, as always, for coming on to the program. Obviously, as we have now proven, we do have people back, and we're willing to have them on back-to-back weeks. So uh, we will certainly have more content coming uh, at you in regards to West Virginia and possibly Lexington as well as far as interviews go in the future, whether that be, uh, you know, actual staff members like the on the field staff pitching coaches uh, hitting coaches managers or if it's like the toast manner or fun local characters all of these are possibilities here but we do appreciate everyone coming on and i also like to take a moment just to thank everyone over at lexington for sending over the uh the goodie boxes to both the me yes. and will here uh, i know yes. i've i've had a chance to dig into mine i posted the unboxing when you're listening to this probably yesterday but it'll be technically speaking uh friday the 5th i posted all of uh all of that stuff and it was really nice that the hat the shirt and everything in there so i appreciate you guys sending that over uh especially uh coltac who made that happen i really do appreciate all of that i'm sure will does yeah. as well but i'll, I'll let a- him speak absolutely. for himself yeah, yeah absolutely I, I i appreciate it a ton unfortunately i am at i'm at school right now at uh at, at hofstra university and so not at my home in new jersey however i did get i got somewhat of an unboxing of based on facetime uh for, from my dad who was, who was who opened the box and you know showed me what's inside it so all all great stuff i mean the hat the shirt i mean you know personalized notes everything it was it was it was really nice of them to do really nice to, of um the lexington legends brass very thoughtful very kind and i really i really do appreciate it uh, I guess uh, we'll kind of debrief the interview real quick like we always do, and then we'll get on to the couple other scraps of news we have, and then we'll be surprisingly done in a fairly orderly manner here. I mean, obviously we record the interviews themselves, and then we go back and do everything else later on. So, I mean, we've only been at this for like 10, 15 minutes, so uh, this really could be a quick week for for us, but not for you. You're You're going to get the whole hour plus long content, so good on you. That's right. The, the the people will get all of the content they deserve. As far as the interview, my favorite part of it this week, and as a Red Sox fan, I think you know where I'm going with this, Nick. Do, yeah. do you have an idea where I'm going to go with it? I have a guess that has to involve Henry Owens. Oh, well, see, his name does indeed rhyme with, rhyme with Henry Owens. So, yes, I definitely um, – I, I really was interested to get into – um, to talk about Henry Owens, as as I as as most of you probably know, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Henry Owens was a top prospect coming up in the Red Sox system. Didn't have a ton of success in the MLB. Has, has always had great stuff, as I mentioned in the interview. But control not as not not as strong suit. We'll just say it was it was really interesting to talk talk about what they see in Henry Owens, and not to mention it, that th- that's really what indie ball is because. Indie ball, we've seen it many times where they've taken guys who have either been hurt or maybe uh, maybe prospects who didn't really pan out, and they come to indie ball, they reinvent themselves, they fix something, and then all of a sudden they're out the door and they're right back into affiliated baseball. We've seen it time and time again, and I think with Henry Owens, this could be a real case of that as well. Because listen, we know Henry Owens has great stuff. If he can, if he can cut the walks down. Like I mentioned in the interview, I don't think he's going to be in Lexington very long. I think he's going to be picked up by an MLB organization. I'm sure there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be scouts and other team personnel watching his starts very closely, watching his 
his TrackMan data very, very closely as well. And hopefully, hopefully they were able to find something uh, in his delivery, like um, like Jesse was saying, that really could help him find the zone more and command his pitches more. And I think that would be that that would really be a great story if they could uh, get Henry Owens back to affiliated ball, and maybe we'll see if he can realize the potential that scouts have been raving about for years and years at this point. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, that already so far just between the two teams, both Lexington and West Virginia, you see a really well-developed uh, pitching staff and just some other signings in general. I mean, we saw Paredes sign today. We saw mm-hmm. a handful of other guys as well in the past few days. So they're both looking like they're going to be, you know, substantial teams and looking like they're going to be very good. But I do agree with you. I think Henry Owens has the the best potential out of the whole lot of the signings to really stand out and shine. And I mean, like Jesse even mentioned in that interview, uh, towards the end of that Battle of the Bourbon Trail, he really was dealing with some really good stuff. So hopefully he's able to continue that and continue to play uh, up to a high level. So uh, that said, I will say I am going to harp on the Toastman bit and how much of a fixture he is in the city of Charleston alone. The fact this guy is throwing toast in the air. Like, I really can't get over this guy. He's just such an interesting character to me. And I really do want to have him on this show. Uh, Like, this dude is just so interesting to me. That and also the fact that he's like Kent Blackstone's uncle. That also is really... That was a fun one, yeah. that, That threw me for a little bit of a loop, too. Uh, and so I, I really am uh, hopeful we can get him on here. Uh, I also like that you mentioned that there really is no plan of a rebrand of the logo, like maybe some this different change in the coloring or anything like that, but the brand's going to stay intact for the most part here and how they're going to try and get the community more engaged. And the one thing I did find a little bit interesting from a business perspective is how West Virginia is more of a group sale market versus season ticket market. How they're going to be targeting more of like the, I guess the company outings, the uh, the party atmosphere, that kind of a thing, and how they have that a little bit less competition because in Lexington you have University of Kentucky that's going to draw in a lot of attention, I guess, draw resources away there. But as far as West Virginia goes, you don't really have as much of an issue with that in regards to major universities and things like that. I found that uh, a bit interesting. Yeah, you, you you can't treat each market the same, and you can't eat you can't market to each uh, each specific place the same. Oh, we've seen that all the time in indie ball, and that's why it's so important in so many instances to have ownership that are that are really invested in the community and they're working in the community daily. They really know their communities best, as we saw in Staten Island, when you have a bunch of investment bankers from the Midwest. And trying to trying to market to people in Staten Island, they don't know anything about people in Staten Island. You, you're right. I think that was it was interesting to really contrast, uh, to compare and contrast how the same ownership, the same group, plans to market and try and sell tickets to uh, to two separate markets, and you, strategies have to change uh, based on based on the people, based on the town, uh, or based on the city, and you're you're just trying to. And of course, the end goal is the same at the end of the day, but how you go about it is so much different in each market. And even with the Long Island Ducks, let's take the Ducks, for example. You know there's a lot of Met fans out there? Got to bring in the former Mets. Those, that, that's how you sell the tickets. Or even in Lexington, you have, we've had plenty of guys, or I believe we've had 
one guy who starred at Kentucky and two who starred at Louisville. And that's how, that's also how they're looking to bring in some interest of people who are following the great baseball programs that are at Louisville and Kentucky. So you got to market to each, each place differently. And I think that's, that's what they're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. It's proven there. And I also liked how he was saying, you know, we don't intentionally go out and look for younger managers, but it just kind of works out that way and how he likes giving guys their kind of their first shot here. But I also noticed how they do fill out the staff with more experienced guys around. I mean, we saw with the with the staff announcements that we'll go into more detail with in the in the next bit here. They got what two World Series winning pitching coaches on their yeah. rosters now, and then a couple other or another experienced uh, in MILB coach in Ken Joyce. I mean, like that's a really solid uh, lineup they got going on the staff side. Especially for a man, especially for a guy like Mark Minakazi, who yeah. hasn't managed in the game before, you need to have that support system around them. If you have three guys who are who the, the indie ball world still new and like professional baseball still kind of new, you, you're going to struggle. And I think we've seen examples of that in the past as well. So you're right; it, it's really important to to have that. If you're if you're going to go with younger managers, I mean, it, it's interesting because. You talked about giving guys first opportunities, which is great, and it sounds great, but at the end of the day, you got to win games. Are they going to win more games as a result of hiring Mark Minakazi and P.J. Phillips instead of a guy like Brett Jody, a guy like John Hutton? I, I don't know that answer. We have to see. And so, um, and, and Jesse's right when he says you see, you see so many guys that kind of get recycled and go from place to place, and you, you want to give guys those first opportunities. And I'm with that, but at the end of the day, I'd, I'd be, I'm all about winning. I know the fans in each places are, are, are about winning. And especially now that you're in the indie ball world, if you're listening uh, and you're uh, a fan of the West Virginia power, and you're a fan of the Lexington legends, this is an MILB where you're worried about giving the, about making sure that the first round pick is in the, in the lineup every day. But the second round pick that you gave a big, a, a huge signing bonus to is in the lineup every day in pitching. These managers are playing to win and nothing else. And if they don't win, they bring in somebody else, and if, if players don't perform, they get released. That's how the indie ball world works. The only the only thing that matters on the field is winning, and I promise you, it, it, I know there's not going to be the top prospects coming in anymore, but the fact that the only thing that matters is winning the game on the field and winning championships, it, it, it's refreshing. And as a guy who, uh, it, trust me, it is exciting in some in a lot of ways, but. Somerset, my local team, is now the Yankees AA affiliate. However, I do miss the fact of, I do miss the players that are really passionate about winning and really playing to win. And I mean, you, you understand what the MILB yeah. uh, game is. You understand that, listen, we gave this guy a five, uh, like a $5 million signing bonus. We're not going to go in there and he struggles for two weeks. And maybe a guy who was a, a guy who's a four year college player drafted in, in the 26th round is, is doing really well. The guy who made the money's got to play. Oh, and, absolutely! And it's all about wins. Yeah, it's about development and who you sunk more resources into. Second round pick has more resources into him, so you're going to spend more time on him to get him going there. And I guess it's going to be very weird in Somerset, particular, having a team that was really competitive almost every single year of their existence, one of yeah. the most successful teams in independent league baseball across the board. 
now go to that traditional development structure to have that is kind of like that default way where you know it like obviously anyone that's on the field every player is trying to win that game that of course just how it is but we all know that a manager is getting instructions from up above as to that line of card on that MILB sure. level. And, and even St. Paul and Sugarland as well. They're going to be in the exact same boat. Exactly. And so to go, uh, just to see that kind of shift here, obviously it's still exciting because you, you do get the names and there is some appeal with Major League Baseball attached to it. I, I understand all that. But at least for me, I prefer to see competitive winning baseball. And it's not to say that MILB isn't competitive. Of course it's competitive. But... To just see them go out there and run out the roster that's best for development or the lineup that's best for development and yeah. not the one that gives you the best chance at winning is certainly not not as interesting to me personally, at least. As a fan, I'm more interested in seeing a set of nine guys on each side that are going to play their heart out and try to win the game and know that if I don't perform... I have about two weeks to get my act together. Otherwise, I'm going to be looking for another job. To have have those be the stakes, it's just way more entertaining to me. So to have that in in Somerset now, have the case be changed, it'll be interesting to see. And likewise, in Lexington and West Virginia, I think they are going to be very, very happy with what they see here because you're going to get a higher level of play and you're going to get a more competitive level of play and you're going to see a more complete game, I think. And, I, and and especially at least at least when I go to like affiliated minor league games, because uh, even when Somerset was was a part of the Atlantic League, I would still go to plenty of minor league games. I'm gonna be honest with you, I really didn't care who was like what the standings were. Like if I go to a, a Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs game, I probably don't even check and see what their record is because frankly, Cause it I don't really care. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care. But but for an indie ball, it's, it's totally different. And I'm telling you, it's. It's really refreshing to see guys that are super invested in winning and guys that come into indie ball, especially guys who come in for the first time. That's always what they say. That that pretty much like pretty much every player that I've talked to that they come in and it's like, well, what's the biggest difference? There's a hu- and they say there's a huge emphasis on winning and it's refreshing because you learn how to, you learn how to have fun again and winning is the only thing that matters and and like you said Nick you're going to see especially from the South Atlantic League up to up to the Atlantic League you're going to see a big jump in, in a big jump in play uh on the pitching side of things you'll see a lot better pitching you'll see may, maybe not i guess the velocity a lot pretty comparable because at least in single A you have a lot of guys who throw hard but are just not polished yeah. uh at all but yeah i, I think Lexington and West Virginia fans, you are going to like what you see. I promise. It is. I'm not. I don't. I don't like comparing because, of course, some people are more into prospects than others, and that's fine. But from a standpoint, like from a season ticket holder standpoint, you're going to enjoy it because it's all about winning and nothing else matters. A hundred percent there, and I, I only have a couple of things left to that I had marked down here. Uh, the first one being that I do like the that the Mothman promo is still in play for West Virginia. Because I think there is so much potential there with that kind of weekend uh, promo event. I really, really think that's the case. Especially because there's a lot of designers that I see on Instagram in particular. But out there across the board entirely. That will work fairly cheap and could draw you up something very, very interesting. I think you can make a lot of money off of the hats and the t-shirts and the jerseys and whatnot from it. And also, just in addition to it. 
I think you could come up with some really cool looking designs. Like if you look up on Google here, while you're listening to this podcast, go and pull up images of the Mothman. It can lend itself so perfectly to a baseball logo and a team design. Yeah, I I agree. I think that it's nice to see them stick with that Um, because it's creative. It's not something you see every day, especially in the Atlantic League. We don't don't see a a ton of that, too. So I'm Mm. with you. I think it's it's cool to see that they're, they're sticking with that. Absolutely. And it's not like one of those uh, promotions like to go into MILB, like with the Pizza Rats and whatnot, that was popular with everyone that wasn't from Staten Island. I think that right. would be still fairly uh, popular because I understand that there's like an hour difference between Mount P- or Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Charleston. But I feel right. like in a state like West Virginia, that kind of division of like region wise is less noticeable than in like a New York. There's very distinct cultures to each borough. There's very distinct cultures just in like each half of New Jersey. I don't think that's as much the case in other places. So I really do think that uh, that Mothman thing would be a good idea personally. But totally. outside of that, I there's two other observations here. One, it seems like a really fun office over there in Lexington slash oh, yeah. West Virginia now. Because the amount of just kind of silly BS questions we got were really, they were off the off the chart and i really had fun with that bit of the interview yeah no they, they, it seems like they have you're right it seems like they have a ton of fun they're very loose lots of jokes flying around and it, it's always great to ha- it's always great to have because you, you never want to be uh especially in indie ball where you know it's not the most glamorous uh the glam- most glamorous business you could run you gotta have that Exactly, absolutely. And also now we know uh, the perfect hair care routine as well, which is really the important thing to take away from this whole episode when you get down to it. And uh, with that that said, the only thing left here is I want to know how McGowan hit a 430-foot bomb to the opposite I field. Still, I still need to see this video. I, I need to see this. This is yeah. 430 to the opposite field. That's, for pitcher, insane. This better be part of promotion for Lexington. I mean, like, this is just too good to not use. And like I'm saying, there's going to become a point in the season because it's a 120-game season where you'll have some meaningless games in there on Lexington's part, hopefully because they're already in the postseason. But either way, there's going to be some dead-end games. You know, your middle-of-the-week ones where it's just like, oh, God, we got to get through this. I kind of want to see McGowan DH. I'm just saying, like, this partially stems from my hatred of the DH, I'm not going to lie, but any dude that can muscle one out 430 opposite field when hitting isn't their specialty, I think is worthy to send up to bat four times in one meaningless game. Nick, the DH, in a meaningless game, because I remember the end of the 2019 season when Somerset was out of it, they had David Holmberg grab a helmet and bat and hit, and so that that was fun, but, you know, I, I think the DH is a serious position that Nick, you should be giving more respect to, and I think that we need to have a big bopper in there in that DH spot, uh, like a guy that you know that, that might be on the way there. We'll see. Yeah, that guy's also he could be more effective, I think, as a fielder. And either way, why would you want to downgrade from a real position to a fake position? Oh my goodness! So, so Talvin Nash was in it was in a fake position the entire 2019 season. I believe so. DH is not a real position. He should have played first he, base. He, it would have been a real position. He won that. He won the MVP with, with a fake position. Look, he can only do with what he was given. But yeah, I mean, like it wasn't a real position. 
And because then now the he's saying he was given the most valuable player. I mean, I'm not going to say he wasn't valuable to York. Any guy that hit like Telvin Ash was very valuable to York. But that said, the DH is in a real position. So make of that what you will. I think we need to do another poll about that. I think we did in the past, and it was like split 50-50, which didn't really help me very much. Yeah, I think actually, from what I remember with this poll, it came out like 55-45 in favor of the DH. Uh, so with that said, all I got left here of note here is we also got clarification on the playoffs that it actually will be two rounds. Uh, we, right. we said last week was only going to be one round. It's actually going to be two rounds. So that's a plus, uh, games will be broadcast online free. And also the battle for the golden pig, Hatfield McCoy rivalry is going to be reignited, which is nice to see. And I kind of want to see this golden pig trophy as well. The Battle of the Golden Pig. That is, that, that, that is a, such a great trophy name because nothing nothing annoys me more than like the cheesy like it, it's like so like not creative. I'll use I'll use a hockey example like mm-hmm. the, like the Devils and Rangers like ooh it's the Hudson River rivalry like okay like I, I I guess I guess you could say that but why not why not come up with something more creative? I love how in college football they they come up with like. For example, like Paul Bunyan's axe. Yes, yeah, so, I, I believe that's Minnesota and Wisconsin for football. Yeah, uh, a lot of fu- a lot of fun trophies that that they come up with. Yeah, Apple I'm, glad, Cup. I'm glad to see that Cindy ball. And even like the the what is it? War of the Roses is it called? With, yeah, with uh, York and Lancaster. Yeah, because yes. of English Civil War. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so like, I, I love seeing stuff like that. I do too. I don't really hate the ones that are based off of geography. I hate the ones that are really lazy. Like the Battle of the Freeway or something like that. Like it's like, come on. You oh, know, like co- Dodge, Dodgers and Dodgers Angels. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, the one that they tried to get going with Baltimore and Washington, but it's like you're both not good at the same time, so it's not really that entertaining. <laughs> Subway know? Series is too iconic, though. You can't yeah. change that. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's part of the reason why I don't like the other ones, just because it's like, look, we know you're ripping off. I think yeah, we've done enough exactly. on the interview here. I think we can move on now to staff hirings which is really the bulk of what's left of this show. And then uh, we got some draft information, too. So that may be interesting for players. But uh, staff hirings, we uh, we mentioned that there were uh, former World Series champions added to both the Lexington and West Virginia staff. We'll start with Lexington. They add Dave Island to their staff, World Series champion in 09 with the Yankees, in 2015 with the Royals, played 12, parts of 12 years in the major leagues pretty good hiring i'd say uh yeah you could you could one could say that is a uh, a very good hire uh for, for for lexington i mean dave island he managed in the constellation energy league this past year which was a big name for them to get and listen dave island's been a, a major league pitching coach i believe now for when well, he started in 2008 so probably about 11, 12 years now. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to find a guy who's more experienced, especially when you're looking at guys like Henry Owens or you're you're trying to tweak with mechanically. There's no no better guy to do it than Dave Island. And uh, he's experienced with, not to mention, you talk about about pitching stats. Talk about that 2015 Royals team. I mean, come on. I mean, that is, uh, that you cannot find many better pitching stats 
than that than that 2015 Royals team. And Dave Island was a, was really the man behind the scenes there. So it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun to see how Lexington, because you know the you know the talent is there from a pitching standpoint. As I know for as a Red Sox fan, I really like our pitching coach Dave Bush, but unfortunately, when you give them guys who are just really bad, unfortunately, he can't do much. I don't think that's the case here. I think you got a great pitching coach in David uh, in Dave Island and a, a good staff that's really starting to shape up in Lexington. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely, and as a Met fan, I'm well acquainted with the 2015 Royals. You know, oh, I, that's a good. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I remember that team very well. Uh, what, what, yeah, I don't know why you would remember that. But. Not at all. Not at all. Nope. You know, especially because they didn't play the World Series that year. It's a shame. Just ended with two pennant winners. That's how I remember yeah. that series going. <laughs> just kind of ended there. It's a damn shame. Anyway. Yeah, just fast forwarded to, to pitchers and catchers. Exactly. That's all that happened. That's all that ever happened there. But yeah, now Dave Island, uh, he, he's obviously going to be about one of the best guys you can get onto uh, indie ball staff. Like you said, with Henry Owens there, you can ask for a better guy to, to tinker with stuff. And I really am interested to see here if that at all affects the Lexington makeup here. Obviously, they're going to bring in some bats. We know a couple that are going to be brought in fairly soon. And uh, I do imagine, though, if you do have a guy like Dave Island, maybe you're a little bit more... Uh, active in the pitcher scene you know maybe you bring in a couple more guys sure. or you're able to get in and convince some guys that have more major league experience to come in and say look we got dave island here it's a well-established market you're going to be playing in like the best of ballparks because realistically they have very new ballparks in all of them i mean the lexington one's the oldest and that's what built in 99 2000 roughly right around then. i, I thought lexington was like oh four Okay, I could be wrong about this too. Like I remember we've done this before where so. Yeah, I could have I could have sworn it was like uh oh, 2001. 2001. Okay, so you have one that was built in 01, another one built in 04 in West Virginia, then you have the High Point one built in 2018 technically, started playing in 19, and then you have the Gastonia one built in technically 2020, but most of the work done in 21. Or well, most of the work done in 20 opened in 21. That general right any case the point is it's less than a year old. You have right. really the best stadiums you can get. It's a real easy sell to go look, these are the divi- this is the division. These are the ballparks you're going to be playing in a lot. Even when you look York, Lancaster, Southern Maryland, all very nice ballparks. Uh, whatever they renamed Beth Page Ballpark to, I think like Fairfield Properties. Fairfield, or Fairfield Properties Ballpark really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? So, I mean, it's a fairly easy sell if you bring Dave Island in like that too. I'm sure you could go to a couple of guys that may be hesitant, may be holding out a little bit longer and kind of recruit them in as well. So, I do wonder if that's going to be something that happens, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that front. Yeah, I think you're right, especially this year. I mean, you're looking on, you're looking as far as the MLB and maybe AAA side of things. You're seeing less and less guys signing minor league deals, especially after a year in which teams lost so much money. And they're at this point, as far as they're just looking to bring up young guys at this point. These roster spots are really at a premium. This year, so I think for that reason, you'll you'll see that the Atlantic League is incredibly talented this year. And I think, as far as Dave Island's influence over that, I absolutely think that um, that that'll that'll really help them as far as recruiting pitchers. And we know in the Atlantic League, you got to have 
you got to have good pitching and you have to have a lot of it, especially when guys are moving in and moving out. And certainly, certainly saw that with Somerset in 2019. They had a probably an, an unreal first half pitching wise. Some guys got purchased to go overseas, Overholzer to Taiwan and Kubiak to Mexico and Teasley to Mexico. And then you just had Liam O'Sullivan and oh boy for the, the rest of the, the rest of the rotation pretty soon. So uh, it, you'll, you'll see that pitching really, really is, is so important. And I think having a guy like Dave Island to bring in the, that, that type of talent uh, is, is, is really a, a huge plus for Lexington. Absolutely. And Paul Menhart over in West Virginia is no slouch either. In addition to that, Ken Joyce is also brought in as the hitting coach. Menhart, of course, winning the World Series in 2019 with the Washington Nationals, also a former major leaguer. Joyce being the former Alley Camp manager from 2004 and also a longtime uh, MILB coach as well. Those are two also very nice additions into the West Virginia staff. They complement uh, Minikazi's staff very well too so I am interested to see how West Virginia plays out as their roster starts to take shape yeah and then like not, not to not to repeat myself too much but really good to have two experienced guys like Menhart and Joyce uh with a with a first-time manager I think that's something you got you absolutely got to have and I think they did a good job getting it done Absolutely there. And so I suppose that's, uh, we could repeat the same thing we just said about Lexington, but I don't think anyone's here to, uh, hear that. We move on now to the last bit of news that will take, I guess, roughly 30 seconds to discuss. And I'm going to start keeping tabs on that as soon as this little timepiece ticks over into the next set of five. So we'll start now. Frontier League draft is from, or not the Frontier League draft, but the draft in the tryout will take place May 10th through 11th at the Lake Erie Stadium. Uh, workouts start at 9 o'clock on the 10th. That's mostly a workout day. There will be inter-squad games on the 11th, followed by a draft afterwards. Go to the show notes on the website to find the link to sign up at. Wow. Uh, I was just that a bit was, off. Took 35 seconds. Damn. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I almost had it, and now you can just say, "Great decision by the Frontier League holding tryouts." That, that, that's really going to work out well for them. Hey, look, hopefully this year that can actually happen. Like last year, we had it scheduled for April, then delayed, then delayed, then delayed, then delayed, then canceled. So hopefully this year it can get going. Uh, it's pretty much the standard Ferris every year. So, uh, with that said, that's all we got. And I'm surprised yeah. we record for about 40 minutes now before getting to anything else out of the interview and everything else on top of that. So it's actually a decently length episode. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Impressed. We're just that talented. Exactly. It's pure talent. And uh, with that said, we will go to the plugs. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport and at ALPB underscore news. You can also find the links to everything we discussed here today on the website IndieBallReport.com. There's other stuff there too. Feel free to go on there and explore and find the stuff you like. Uh, in addition to that, only thing else we really got to plug is you can follow the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Like I said, essentially everywhere you find podcasts, you can find the show. Uh, the unboxing video is currently up on Instagram for what we got in the Lexington package. That should be up on YouTube by the time that this episode goes up. So you could also go to the YouTube channel, Indie Ball Podcast on YouTube. 
Uh, that said, do we have anything else left to add? Anything else left to add? The Boston Celtics have won four straight games. That that, that That's my thing to add. Very happy about that. I, I was getting close to mailing in the season and giving up, but then they pulled me back in with four uh, with four straight wins. One other note, uh, I thought the Syracuse Orange were, were going to be dead as far as the NCAA tournament, but if they get a win in the if they get one win in the ACC tournament this week, you got to put those boys in the dance. So, well, hopefully, ho- hopefully, Rutgers can close it out, get in the tournament as well as Syracuse, and it will be a very fun month of March for me. I like how Duke's still alive in this, where realistically, if they beat UNC and then win a round or two in the ACC tournament, there's a very strong case they can be making. Nothing would make me happier than to watch Duke not make the tournament. So I'm rooting hard for the Tar Heels tomorrow. You see? Or, well, today, I guess, when this comes out. Being a Duke fan myself, because that just fits my personality oh so well. It certainly does. Yeah, that's also why I'm a North Dakota fan. It really does fit the personality. North Dakota is essentially the Duke of uh, college hockey. So that really does, it warms my heart there. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be rooting against UNC with a passion. Obviously, I'm really hoping for Duke to make it because this is one of those kind of bullshit years where I could totally see Duke making the tournament and then just going on a run to the Final Four just because. And that would make me so happy just to watch them kind of just fall ass backwards into tournament win after tournament win after tournament win. It really would. Now, I don't expect it to, but we can always hope. A man can dream. Yeah. I wish I had more to add. I really don't. Everything else I got here is long or it's just not timely enough yet. I will probably, in a week or two from now, be breaking down the Frozen Four bracket and explaining why are my predictions for each tournament and then being very antsy as I quickly run through it so that way I can watch uh, NCAA hockey, which is about three weeks away. So I'm excited for that. So with that said, and nothing else left to add, uh, end this show like we end every show. Don't forget to play ball. That sounded decent. That sounded good to me. All right. It'll hunt.